How many of you feel that way a little bit coming into this morning? If you would have known we were talking about marriage, you would have had something else to do this morning. I tell you, some of you, um, some of you knew that we weren't, or that we were talking about marriage this morning, and that's why just you're here on your own, and your spouse is at home. They said, "No, honey, you go, you take notes, and uh, and tell me everything about it." Um, it feels that way sometimes, you know. Guys, typically, this is an over over generalization, but guys. When, uh, when your wife says, hey, we need to talk about our relationship, it's like, oh, do we really? Do we really need to talk about our relationship? I mean, don't we have a relationship? Isn't it working? Can't we just let it work? You know, we, we have a relationship. Why do we need to work on our relationship? Why do we need to talk about it? Andy, Andy, Andy Stanley says that it's a lot like a car to you ladies. Um, ladies, uh, most of the time, your husband driving down the road and he hears a noise in the car and he's like, turns off the radio. What, what is that? What is that noise? And you don't hear anything. No, no, you can hear that. There's that little, that little knock. Listen, listen. And uh, guys, we want to work on the car. We want to keep it up, right? We want to maintain it. Because you know, if you don't, it's going to fall apart one day. And too many of us with cars or life, we, what do we do? We just let it run out, and then, man, once it's done, trade it in on a new one, right? We do that with cars, and the, the reality is we do that a lot with relationships, too. Man, I don't want to work on it. Let's ride it out, and we'll trade it in, and we'll lease a new one. And we do that. So today we're talking about this battlefield. Man, we love love, and we hate it, right? Love and marriage, it drives us. And sometimes it drives us crazy, right? And so what we're doing here this morning, if you've never been to K2 before, welcome. This is our South Campus. My name's Lad. I'm the campus pastor here. Twice a month or three times a month you hear from me. And uh, once or twice a month you hear from Dave Nelson, our lead pastor. And so we're entering into this series on marriage and just saying everything's not fair in love and war. And, And God, what specifically... God, how do you want us to, to live out faith in you in marriage? God, what, what is this fight about marriage? Because too often the fight is against each other, right? Too often the fight is me fighting for me and you fighting for you. And, and so, God, how do, we, uh, how do we walk this out? How do we walk out our relationship with you in marriage? You know, if you're here and you're single, um, I want you to know that Man, it's good for you to hear about marriage. 95% of the people, statistically, 95% of the people are going to get married. So by the age 55, 95% of people have been married. Okay? So if you're not married um, and you're 55, 95% chances by the end of the year you're going to get married. All right? (laughs) You might not know who that is just yet, but but literally... uh, some of you are here and you were married and now you're not. Maybe you're widowed or, or you're divorced. And so I just want to set the, the plane because when we talk, here's the deal. When we talk about marriage, all of a sudden you go from talking about God, talking about his word, talking about life. You go from talking about that to, uh, to talking about me. Okay, when we start talking about marriage, you start talking about not just an idea of what I do or don't believe, but you start talking about, about me. Because I, I don't just do marriage, I, I am married. Or I'm not just 
single, I'm, well, I guess I am. How would I say that? So I, it's not just that I'm, I'm, but it's that I'm not married or, or whatever the stigma is about that. Or it's not just that, that I'm divorced, but it's that I, I'm divorced. And I feel like that says something about marriage. And here's what I want you to know is that all of us who have been married, we've all failed at marriage. Okay? Marriage isn't about like not being divorced or not being widowed or not being single. Okay? The goal, the goal of marriage, the Bible doesn't say that you should um, really strive to be married and really strive to protect that marriage. Okay? We're going we're gonna to look at this. The Bible doesn't ever say that. It says that we're supposed to love one another. We're supposed to love one another really well in the context of marriage. We're supposed to love one another really well outside of the context of marriage. And so we're going to talk about how marriage is a great opportunity to discover more about God and about his love for us. But, but really... I just want to set them, so if, if you're divorced, if you're widowed, if you're single, if you're married, okay, all of us are on the same, how many of you can change the past? How many of you can, anybody can change the past here? Am I the only one? All right, I'm the only one. Um, you can't change the past, right? You can't, you can't change what was. So we're not here talking about what was, okay? I know that when we talk about marriage and if this is my third marriage and I, oh man, we got to go through this. Um, we're not talking about what was. We're talking about what's ahead. Okay, because the only thing we can change is what's ahead. All right, and, and anybody here who is married knows that we've failed in, in loving perfectly in marriage, right? We've all, all done stuff where we've messed this thing up. If it ended, we'd have regrets right now. We all have those. And so even if you're happily married and going to a good place like I hope you are, all of us can say, man, I'm not, I'm not perfect. This isn't, our marriage isn't together just because I'm so great. Okay? So, so we come here at, at that level. Okay? Whether you're single, whether you're single again, whether you're married. Okay? Even, even starting ground, does that make sense? All right. So that's kind of how we're going to start. I met with uh, the mayor of Sandy this week. Uh, we had a meeting. There's a couple pastors that ha- in Sandy who have been getting together and praying for each other's churches. And so um, this morning we're praying for Sandy Ridge Community Church because Travis, the pastor there, uh, he, uh, he's the one who kind of organized this meeting with the, the mayor of Sandy. So it was good to meet Tom Dolan. How many of you guys live in Sandy? Anybody live in Sandy? All right. <clears throat> Tom Dolan, he's been the mayor for 18 years. He's a good guy. Uh, shared with us a little bit just about the vision of the city and how we could be praying and how as communities of faith we could be, be praying and supporting kind of the, the ministry of the, of the uh, community and the goals that the community and the city has. Interestingly enough, the reason, just to let you know, the reason that, uh, the reason that 7th East and 13th East and 114th all have construction going on at the same time is because Sandy was so well prepared ahead of time that when the, when the stimulus package came through with the Bush administration, they only gave money to people who already had plans laid out and approved. And they had three of them, and so they got three things paid for. But they all happened at once, so that's why we hate driving in Sandy. That's why everybody goes around it. Um, but eventually, you'll like it, he says. Eventually, you'll like it. So here's why I'm telling you about Tom. Tom Dolan, here's what he said. The mayor said this. He said... Real joy 
He said, in my life, I have found that real joy comes from serving other people. How many of you guys agree with that? Think about that for a second before you raise your hand. Real joy comes from serving other people. How many of you agree with that? All right, a little over half of you. Okay, good. Um, real joy comes from serving other people. Some of you have, how many of you have done uh, packed food with us up at the White Warehouse that we send to Manila? We feed kids. Is that kind of rewarding? Man, I spent a few hours and I know I made a difference in helping food get to Manila where kids don't have food and there's nutrition there. Is that kind of thing rewarding? Absolutely. How many of you have fed at Pioneer Park? Is that kind of rewarding? Somebody who doesn't have something, maybe you even take the coat off your back and put it on somebody. Have you done that? It's rewarding, isn't it? Um, some of you have been overseas doing stuff. Some of you have raised crazy amounts of money for, for friends whose kids end up with leukemia or for diabetes research or for breast cancer awareness. And when you live for somebody other than yourself, is there not a bit of joy and reward in that? Yeah, there is. In fact, uh, when, when we see Hollywood, when we see Hollywood people conveniently show up to volunteer while the cameras are there, what's our first thought? Well, they're doing it for themselves, right? They aren't truly doing it for others. But when they continue to do it over the course of years, what do you start to think? There must be something to them. They must actually be other-centered. And you, you esteem them. Because, right? Are you tracking with me? Does that make sense? You start to esteem people who you see over and over and over again living for others. And we agree with this. We, we say it, but here's the difficulty. I don't think we really believe it. Now, when I'm having coffee with somebody and I want to talk about the stuff that I think is neat, yeah, I think it's pretty neat to spend an hour on Saturday morning and kind of bomb out Mickey Mouse pancakes and, uh, and pack food and send it to Manila. And I kind of want to be able to talk about that. But it, but it doesn't really hurt me. You know, like it doesn't really cost me anything. You know, it's a good thing to do and I kind of like, but, but really when it gets down to me living for someone else, here's what I find in the mirror and you might not find this, but I find that in the mirror over and over again what I see is a dude who's pretty interested in himself. I find that I'm pretty interested that things go my way. This might only be me, um, but, but I like it not only when things go my way, but I really like it when other people serve me. I really do. I like it when things go good for me and people serve me. And so as much as I, I want to love others and I want to serve others, I... And, and if you ask me, I'll raise my hand every time. Yeah, I mean, I, there's great joy in that. But over and over when I wake up, the default mode is, hmm, a lad serving himself again. And, and when, I talk about, when I talk about, like, you know, kids against hunger, like, it makes all the sense in the world. And then when I talk about marriage, when I think about me serving someone else, me serving Crystal, like, that's a lot harder than doing Kids Against Hunger. Like, I want, I want my marriage to serve me. And, and see, that's, that's our starting point. I think that most of, us, most of us have expectations. Most of us have dreams and hopes in life. Because when you're single and before you're married, you enter into marriage with, with all of these thoughts, right? Whether you got them from your family or you got them from a magazine or you got them from pop reality TV, whatever it is, you got all of these. And, 
And by the way, you just, I, I would love to have, I'd love to have an hour over coffee with you to talk about the way that, that our media helps us shape those expectations we have. We don't really have that right now, but, but we do. We, we allow so many other things to shape our expectations. And so, so we have these expectations of what, what that should be, and they revolve around me. Because I'm single, and I, you know what I mean? And it takes at least a decade. It takes at least a decade, follow me here, to really learn to love someone else, to really serve someone else. In fact, do you know what they say? That the average, the average time that a, a marriage that falls apart falls apart is seven years. Okay? It's actually slightly longer for, so men's marriages, I don't know exactly how that works because men's marriages fall apart slightly sooner than women's marriages, but they're both in the seven-year range. And so um, if you've been married through that period of time, almost everybody I know says that somewhere between five and ten years, There's some hang-on time. And if you're like me, you've got lots of friends who at some point in there have just said, it's not worth it. I don't want to replace the transmission. I'm just going to get a new lease. I'm going to trade this thing in. It's just not worth it. And so it's kind of in the context of that that we really want to look at, at, at God's Word. Here's some of the things that I hear not from you, but from other people at other churches that I pastor. Um, <laughs> I don't know exactly what happened. I just, I just don't love him anymore. I just don't have feelings for him anymore. Uh, I don't understand why we don't have sex. I mean, I'm married to her. She isn't the same as when I married her. We've grown apart. God wouldn't want me to be this unhappy, I know. There's no way that I should be this unhappy. So I'm getting a divorce. I need a man who's a spiritual leader. You see, I'm a Christian, I'm a strong Christian. I can't stay married to a guy like that. I'm in love with someone new. She just doesn't like me anymore. I will never be able to trust her again. After the affair, I can't ever give myself to him again. The thing that all of those have in common that, that some of us have said and then the rest of us have said in our heads at one point or another about a relationship is that, is that they all start with I and, and they start with me and that we're going to find that, that what God designed marriage for, the way we come into it is all about my expectations of my life and what's going to be good for me. And what God wants to give to us is exactly what the mayor was talking about, that when we actually learn to serve someone else, that he has such good stuff for us. So if you're single here today and you're looking at some point to get married, um, here's the thing I want you to hear is that, that God designed marriage as a really, really good thing for you. Okay, and that, that he wants it as a great thing for you, for, for you to find joy in life and to know him and to know his love in a way that, that you can't, quite frankly, in, in exactly in another relationship here on earth. Okay, um, if you are, uh, we're going to find here later that if you're single here and you're somebody who you feel like you're part of that 5% who's never going to get married, man, we want to esteem you. We want to really honor you because God's word actually says, Paul says later, he says, 
there's some people who can roll through life and they don't need to get married. And that's a good thing. And he says for you, he says, you have all the ability to, to give God your full life where you don't have to mess with all of just the commitments and the life and the kids and the diaper and all the stuff that it takes once you kind of start that marriage family thing going. You have this incredible privilege to walk with Jesus free from a lot of bounds and bindings and and constraints that that married folks have. Um, And... And so we're, we're going to jump into that. First of all, let me, let me start with two things just so we get going. First of all, I have way too much to say, and I can't say everything about marriage, because uh, I don't know everything about marriage, but I can't say everything about marriage because it just would take too long. And so I have too much to say today. And then secondly, these blue cards, if you've never been here before, these are contact cards, and we usually use them, I don't know what we usually use them for, but um, we usually use them for something connecting and contacting and, and usually send in prayer requests. What I want to actually ask you to do is if you have any questions today, um, if you have any questions at all about this week. Now, this week we're talking about marriage, and uh, there's some kids in the house, and that's cool. Um, today's kind of PG to PG-13-ish, because I'm going to talk pretty straight about relationships. Next week we're talking about sex, okay? And so... We have, kids, we have kids' programs kind of thing. And so next week is going to be closer for some of you. You're going to feel like it's R-rated. Okay, we're going to talk about sex next week. But, but here's the thing is that after the teaching time next week, Crystal and I are going to answer some of your questions about, about sex uh, in marriage and out, out of marriage kind of from the Bible's perspective. And so we're going to be talking about sex and relationships next week, and we're going to be answering questions. But in order to answer questions, it's good that I don't just make them up because then I'll make up really easy ones for me to answer and sound real clever like that. So what would be way better is if you would actually give me difficult questions to answer and awkward questions to answer so that I would have to really be straight with you from God's Word. Does that make sense? So if, if you would, I, I would really like to know a question that you actually have. Okay, um, and I'd like you to write it down, and then later when the bags go around, you can put that in there. Does that kind of make sense? Kind of as it relates uh, to marriage and life. So um, let me pray, and uh, we'll get started. All right, 20 minutes into it, we're going to get started. God, uh, we need help because 95% of us are going to be married, and God, the way we typically go about it is all about ourselves. And some of us are more selfless than others, but all of us, God, at, at the heart, uh, God, we love ourselves. And so, God, would you teach us from your word, and would you help us? In Jesus' name, amen. I uh, want to let you know, if you're not involved in a continuing the conversation group, uh, we have these, these groups that we continue this conversation, not because what I do is so good, but because God's word is so good. So, this, this stuff from God's Word is really good. And if you aren't involved in one of those, I'd really encourage you to because there's like a bunch of groups that are going to get together tonight and they're going to talk about this. They're going to take it to the next level. They're going to take some other passages. They're going to throw those ideas around. They're going to disagree. They're going to pray for each other. They're going to... Does that make sense? And it's a great place to kind of defrag a little bit from what we talk about on Sunday mornings. So marriage begins in... Uh, Right, right from the start, in the garden, uh, before sin, God is the one who creates the universe, he creates the heavens, the earth, he creates Adam, he creates all the animals. The only thing that isn't good is the fact that Adam is alone, 
okay? And God says specifically everything's good and specifically says that that is not good. And so all the animals are made male and female to procreate, to multiply, and Adam is alone. And we get to Genesis chapter 2. The Lord says, it's not good for man to be alone. Verse 18, I'll make a helper suitable for him. Helper is not a demeaning thing, ladies. It means that one perfectly suited to him. Uh, but for Adam, no suitable, suitable helper was found. Verse 20, so the Lord caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep, took out a rib, closed it up. Verse 22, the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. Literally, God gives away Eve in the first wedding there is. He brings her, he makes her, he brings her to Adam. All right? Woman literally means out of man. Guys, it doesn't just mean, whoa, man. All right? It doesn't just mean that. It does mean that, but it doesn't just mean that. All right? Man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. They become one flesh. Okay? The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. All right? Right from the start, God is the one giving away Eve, the first one. They are naked with no shame. Okay? They are together. And, and God blesses their relationship. Right from the start, God creates sex to be within marriage. He creates marriage as a good thing for them to have unity together, for them to have oneness. Literally, the picture in the Hebrew that it paints is literally adhesive, okay? That, that bonds you together in a way that, that shouldn't be torn apart, that can't be torn apart in a way that really damages as it comes apart. Some of you have felt that. They were both naked and they felt no shame. So God created, if you go to Hebrews 13.4, beyond that, uh, the writer of Hebrews says that marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. God is the one who created sex. He's the one who created the marriage bed. He says, keep it pure. Keep it cu- pure by, and we'll talk about this more next week, by being together, by not being with people outside of it, That means no pornography. That means no extramarital. That means keep the marriage bed pure. That means before marriage, keep the marriage bed pure. That means keep the marriage bed pure. That God created it, and it should be honored by all. Okay? Just like I said earlier, if you're not married and God's given you the gift, like Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, of being single and and being passionate about that, and and should be honored by all. All right? But marriage should be honored by all. Song of Solomon even goes further and says this. Um, so Song of Solomon is this love story between two. And if you understood Hebrew and you could read uh, chapter 5, verse 1, well, the whole book, really, you would have uh, blushy cheeks. And we'll be talking a little bit more about that next week. Um, I've come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I've gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I have drunk my wine and my milk. And God looks down, and here's what God says. He says, eat, O friends, and drink. Drink your fill, O lovers. All right, God created marriage and looks delightfully upon people who are married and celebrate it with great intimacy and their sex life. So God is pleased and he encourages it. Remember a couple weeks ago we talked about the Trinity? And we talked about taking God out of our box. And, and to be honest, Today could be one of those kind of days where this, this is something that God gives that you don't want to put in your box. Okay? Um, 
But when we talked about Trinity, we talked about the fact that God says, I am love. I am love. I'm not just loving. I am love. And love by nature is other-centered. Other and if you, if you track back the fact that God is before time and he is outside of everything, if God is before time and there's no creation, then if God is love and other-centered even before time, it makes sense that he's, he's Trinitarian, that he's three, that he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because all through the Bible, the Father is saying, man, have you, have you seen my Son? And the Son says, you can't wait. In the New Testament, you can't wait until the Spirit comes because having the Spirit is better than having me. And the, and the Son gives all glory to the Father, and there is this amazing love and unity between them. Oneness. And we said they're one in essence and three in persons, but, but here's the whole thing. God, from the start, perfect love. And he invites us into that perfect love when he invites us into this this relationship of marriage where we learn to love someone else. Now, marriage is given for, for procreation, and, and we have babies, and the human race continues and grows on it. But too long, for too long, the church has said that's the only reason for marriage and for intimacy. And, and so God, in who he is in his relational loving, has called us and has given us the opportunity to experience love, the perfect love that he has for us inside our, our human relationships. If you go to Matthew 22, um, even going further, uh, just to, to clarify, marriage is something for here on earth, okay? Matthew 22, the Pharisees come to him and they set up this story where they say, you know, a woman... Uh, she was married to a brother, and he died, and so they handed him down to the next brother because that was their culture. And he died, and he died, and he died, and she had no kids with any of them. So Jesus, which one is she married to in heaven? And this is how Jesus replies. He says, you're in error because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. Okay? They'll be like angels in heaven. Don't miss the point. You don't turn into an angel. You're always a person. Okay, that's not today's sermon. That's a different one. But here's the thing. You're like an angel in the sense that you will not be married in heaven. Okay? In heaven, there will be no sin. There will be no tears. There will be no... Okay? The, our relate, as hard as it is for me to imagine, we will have perfect unity with each other in worship of God in eternity. As hard as it is for me to imagine not being married to Crystal, um, we will have great joy in perfect unity with each other. Okay? Marriage is only here for earth. Okay? So that's why marriage, right from the start, when you got married, you said, until death do us part. Okay? Marriage is for life. All right? We're going to get into that just now. In fact, uh, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says this. He's talking about, if you've never read 1 Corinthians 7, I would really encourage you to because no matter who you are, there is a slot in there. There is an example in there for where you are, okay? Whether you're single, whether you're divorced or widowed or married or married to a non-Christian or whether you're a non-Christian married to a Christian, um, no matter what slot you are, you're in there. And so here's what he says. He says, 
um, in, in 1 Corinthians 7.39, he, he basically says marriage, a, married, a woman is married, excuse me, a woman is bound to her husband. And that's not like ball and chain bound. That's kind of what it sounds like. It's not, what it's, it's not exactly what it's like, but she is bound in marriage. She is committed to marriage to her husband as long as he lives. But if he dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. Christians, you know that from God's word, it says, man, if you're going to marry somebody, marry somebody who is a believer in Christ. Why bring disunity into your home? So if you're married to a non-Christian, you can't change that. But if, if you aren't married, you should pick someone who is a Christian if you're a believer. All right? Um, but, but marriage is ideally supposed to last until death breaks that, breaks that bond. Um, so we're going to start with a couple of assumptions. First of all, God is loving and a relational God, the Trinitarian God who made us and loves us and has good stuff for us. God made marriage, secondly, for humans uh, from the start as the second most significant relationship that you will have here on earth, okay? They left their other family. They leave and cleave and they become one, okay? Marriage, you become one. It's, it's the most united, most significant relationship you can have here on earth. All right, 95% of you will get married at some point, and then um, if you don't marry, it's a gift from God. And again, man, we support you, and, and we want to walk with you in that and thank God for you. All right, Matthew 19. Uh, in Matthew 19, uh, the Pharisees uh, come to Jesus to test him. They say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, uh, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female. That's exactly what we just read in Genesis. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and become united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two. They no longer are two. They aren't two. They're one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Okay? Let no wife separate. Let no husband separate. Let no mistress separate. Let no boyfriend separate. What God has put together, God wants to stay together. All right, we're going to learn a little bit more of why. All right. So here's what the, I love this. I love the disciples. Um, the disciples hear this, okay? Jesus replies to the Pharisees. The disciples hear this. And do you know what they say? They say, Jesus. If that is the truth that you just shared, why in the world would anybody get married? Don't you love the disciples? They don't know the right church answer. They don't say, they say, Jesus, if, if you're supposed to be married to one person forever, why in the world would you ever get married if you can't just write a divorce and get out of it? See, the disciples lived in a day where, man, they just, divorced people and got rid of them. And largely, they just divorced women and traded them out and got a new one. And they, they say what's on their minds. God, why, why would we do this? If you're locked into this for life, that's hard. It's better to trade it in and get a new one. Okay? And we live in a world, we just do, where more and more all the time, it's just better to trade it in. And, am I right? It's just better to trade it in and get a new one. Check this out. Um, so right now, just, just now, um, a couple years ago, we slipped below 50% as far as all the households in America are married households. So 49.7% of all the households in America now are married, okay? It used to always be above that. 
Now, of the 111 million households in America, um, less than half of them are married. Uh, Rutgers released a thing a couple of years ago that uh, they did a study, and Rutgers is in New Jersey, not a Christian, not a moral thing. They're just trying to study society. They're studying the effects on the family of the last 50 years of history that you and I have been raised up in. You know that we made some specific changes in the way we talked, in the way we educated, in the way in what we put on the media, in what we put on television 60 years ago. And so here's what their study is. They said, despite its widespread acceptance among the young, the remarkable growth of unmarried cohabitation in recent years does not appear to be in children's or society's best interest. The evidence suggests that it has weakened marriage and the intact two-parent family, and thereby damaged our social well-being, especially that of women and children. And so for the last 50 years, we have been trying to make everything better and more equal for women and children. And so Rutgers is just saying that what we've created uh, hasn't, hasn't worked in our estimation. And they go on, and this is their, this is their conclusion, and they say this. They say, um, in place of institutionalizing cohabitation, and you know that we're always working on that, even currently. We're working on that in the insurance industry, so that when you live with somebody, they're covered and insured. You know what I mean? They're, we're working on that all across the board. And he said, and this is what Rutgers said, is in place of institutionalizing cohabitation, in our opinion, we should try to revitalize marriage in the eyes of our kids. Okay? Um, we live in the same kind or nearing the same kind of culture that the disciples were in. And we're like, well, why in the world get married if you can't? You might as well just live together. You might as well just hook up. You might as well just see if it works. Because then you got an out. Why would anybody get married? All right. All right, that's it for today. It's good to have you here. No, I'm teasing. Because that's a dark place. Because that's our world. Why in the world would anybody get married? Because that's what we believe. Do you know that um, 15 years ago, uh, MTV spent millions of dollars to try to figure out how to shape culture. Their target was 12 to 14-year-olds. They created real world and road rules, and, and now almost all of our shows are reality TV. And we look at them, and we kind of know they're scripted, right? We kind of know they're scripted, and we kind of know that they're pretty heavily edited, But what do we believe kind of at the core of what they are? That that's how life is. So I remember as a youth pastor watching shows where, hey, people met each other for the first time and that night they're naked in the hot tub and that's how life is. And Rutgers, anyways, is saying that somehow that hasn't quite worked and it hasn't quite done what we thought it would do. It hasn't quite fixed what we'd hoped it would fix. So marriage. Why get married? Ezekiel 16. This is God's story. When God relates to you and me, here's who he says he is. He says, I am a father and I am a husband. I am a father and I am a husband. That's who he says all through the Old Testament and New Testament. I am a father to you and I adopt you. I save you out of your sin. I'm a husband to you. I make you white as snow like a pure bride and I redeem you, and I buy you, and you are my bride. And so in Ezekiel, he literally tells a story to Israel, his people, and he says, I was walking through the field, and I heard a cry. And I heard a cry in the field, and there was an infant, a brand newborn baby, lying in, 
lying in a pool of blood from its mother who left him there. Umbilical cord uncut. And literally, this is exactly what God says. He says, I found you and I rescued you. And I picked you up and I made sure that you were raised well and provided for. And then we get to verse 8 and he says, When I passed by again, I saw that you were old enough for love, so I wrapped my cloak around you and I covered your nakedness and declared my marriage vows to you. I made a covenant with you, says the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. It goes on in verse 10. I gave you expensive clothing and fine linen and silk, beautifully embroidered sandals of goat skin. I gave you lovely jewelry, bracelets, beautiful necklaces, a ring for your nose, earrings for your ears, and a lovely crown for your head. You were, and so you were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothes were made of fine linen, beautifully embroidered. You ate the finest foods, choice flour, honey, olive oil. You became more beautiful than ever. You looked like a queen, and so you were. Now, who doesn't want to be treated that way? Who doesn't want to be rescued and courted and loved that way and lavished on that way? And God says, that's my love for you. Who doesn't want to be rescued when you know you're lost in your sin and to have a God come and save you and adopt you into his family? Who doesn't dream of being, man, what if I was, I was abandoned and, and I found out that you know, somebody adopted me into a million, you know, what was the name of the Annie? You remember Annie? She got adopted into the million-dollar home. And who doesn't dream of that? We love that. Adopted into the best family. Married into the best family. And God says, that's who I am to you. And his love pours out to you and me like that. And when we talk about marriage, it's in that context that God says, I want you to love and serve each other. Do you know what the people of Israel do? He says, after I married you and after the celebration, you went out and sold yourself on the corner to whoever passed by. And I went and I bought you back. And you went out to the corner and you sold yourself to a group of men. And I went out and bought you back. And you went out and sold yourself again. Can you imagine? You can't imagine it. But we do it to each other. In Revelation, God says that the end of time ends with a marriage feast where he celebrates those who have believed in him coming into heaven. And if you believe in him, you'll be that bride dressed in white. God says that he makes a covenant. How many of you have entered into a contract before? Crystal and I just bought our first house. Wow, that was a long contract. Have you, did anybody actually read that thing? Um, there's just too many clauses. You can't. Like I tried to keep up and I'm like head checking. And oh, I don't have any idea what I signed myself away to. Those contracts, they always have if-then statements, right? So if you default here, then this, Right? If you don't deliver, how many of you have ever had a business and you've signed a contract and if you default, if you don't deliver, do you get paid? No. They're if-then statements. So catch this. God says that marriage is a covenant just like he has a covenant with us. In fact, in Genesis 15, go back and read it. 
Um, Abraham and God are entering into covenant together because God says, I want to commit myself to you. And, and he says, let's make a covenant together and I will make of you a great nation, many nations, and be, everybody will be blessed and, um, because of you, Abraham. And so the way they did it is they, they sacrificed animals and they put it on both sides. And then back in the day, what would happen is the two parties they would have walked through it together. They would have declared kind of this is what this covenant is about and then they would walk through it, okay? Genesis 15. You'll find out just before it was time to walk through it, what did God do? He put Abraham into a deep sleep and he sees a vision of God going through it by himself. And God says to Abraham, I am going to commit myself to you no matter what. No matter whether you have an affair, no matter whether you hurt my feelings, no matter whether you betray me, I am going to be in covenant with you. My love for you goes on forever, period. And when you get married, or if you are married, God's plan for you is to be in that kind of covenant. That you would say to your spouse, I love you no matter what. No matter whether you get hit by a bus and I have to change your diapers for the next 40 years. No matter whether you hurt me emotionally, I'm going to love you through it. We could talk about the details of that and I'm not talking about if you're getting beat up, ladies. I'm not, but I want you to know that, that he says that my commitment to you is forever. And when you talk about marriage, you have the opportunity to say, I'm going to love you no matter what. And who wouldn't want to be loved that way? Because when you put yourself on the throne in your marriage, you'll never be happy. And you'll never find that love. You might have it for a bit. You might taste it for a while. But if you go into marriage thinking that it's all about you, which, just to be honest, and we'll talk about this more, but I mean, guys, that's, I mean, that's the stupidity of pornography. It is so, and I, I want to swear about how stupid it is. It's stupid. It's ridiculous. It's destroying our families. Women, the crap we let dictate our minds and our expectations. God says covenant is where I say to you, no matter what, I'm going to love you. No matter what, I'm going to serve you. In Ephesians 5, check it out later this week. Uh, it says the same thing. Out of your great love for God, love one another. Out of your great, great awe of God, Serve one another. Submit to each other. And when you do, you will taste what we said, that actually serving one another is joy beyond your wildest dreams. Actually loving one another can be beyond any dream you have of being served because in it you will find the joy of God. Is it simple? I'm not saying it's simple. But I want to tell you that that is, that is what marriage is and can be for you and for me. The band's going to come on up. We're going to worship. God, as we 
as we close here, God, I just confess to you that I am not, I'm not loving. I don't love. I don't love Crystal and the boys the way I should. God, you have, you have loved me selflessly. You have given your life away for me over and over and over and over and over and over again. You've forgiven me, God. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to be ones who are in covenant with you, loving you, and out of that love that we would love our spouses and our kids unconditionally. God, in this fight for marriage, God, we don't want to fight each other for what we want. God, we want to fight together for your kingdom. God, we want to fight together just the stuff all around us that tangles us up and tears apart our marriages. God, would you give us the courage to bow our knees to you and say, God, forgive us. Would you help us to love our spouses? God, would you, for, for the person here who is just hurt and furious at their ex, would you give them the courage to forgive? Would you give them the courage to trust you, to love, to serve? God, for those here who aren't married yet, God, it's my prayer that you would call them to more than our world calls them to. More than just two people serving themselves, more than just two people getting ahead and using each other, God, that you would, that you would call them to more. A life of serving you and serving each other. God, this is what we pray. In Jesus' name.